This week on Across the Peak, Rich and I are going to tell you to how to maintain your trusty steed and conduct some vehicle maintenance. Welcome to the Across the Peak podcast, the show where Rich and Justin discuss preparedness, the birds and the bees, guns, history, tattoos, and well, basically all the stuff your old man should have taught you. Rich Brown's a failed 70s child actor, retired Marine Corps officer, and former cop. Justin Carroll, he's a washed up former special operator, half-assed author, and adventurer at large. Learn life skills, harden the fuck up, and become a dangerous man. Get your damn boots on, gents, because we're going going across the peak. Welcome back to Across the Peak, everybody. Rich, what's going on? Dream drinking a really strong espresso and talking to you about one of my favorite topics, vehicle preventive maintenance. That's right, man. I this is an enjoyable topic for me and uh, since we started talking about this episode, we have, uh, man, we really poured some heart and soul into this one and into some backside support for it and some stuff that the listener is going to find out a little bit later on in the episode. But uh, we're up early to record this one, man. We are up early, and I, I'll get right to the what am I drinking because it's on my brain right now. I am drinking an espresso from my Nespresso machine made by DeLonghi, and it is... Uh, Pete's one of their signature. They make these Nespresso pods for my DeLonghi machine, Pete's Coffee, which I, I've always loved their coffee anyway. And this is the Ristretto, and it is amazing. And it delivers a dark little sumptuous truffle of flavor that is really good on a early morning. Man, that sounds amazing. I am not having anything nearly so fancy. I bought a uh, bag of Seattle's best coffee, which I caught on sale yesterday. It's a uh, it's a medium dark roast, and um, I don't I don't even remember the full name of the coffee, but uh, I ground up a few of those beans this morning and ran it through the AeroPress, and that's got me going, man. It's been uh, it's been a rough week, dude. We've had a little bit of technical difficulties. We tried to record this episode once before, had a little bit of trouble, and uh, I have been uh, I've had just a ridiculous work schedule and uh so we're getting this recording in when we can so if uh, if we sound like we're half asleep that's probably because we are it's definitely because we are and i wanted to say <laughs> one thing on the uh you know you were juxtaposing your coffee with mine i'm gonna i'm gonna throw one more in there my dad came over for coffee the other morning and he said he was telling me about one of my ancestors i really need to go back and ask who it was because i'm I'm pretty keen on genealogy, and he said, "Yeah, he'd just put a pot of water on the on the stove, bring it to a rolling boil, stick his hand down in a sack of coffee, and just throw it in the boiling water, let it steep for a minute, and then pour it into a cup and just drink it." And he said his teeth would be full of the coffee grit, and he just just an old illiterate farmer didn't give a crap about nothing. <laughs> oh, that's interesting, man. Uh, that's. I, in a way, I kind of, uh, I kind of admire and respect that. In another way, I think there's probably a better way to do a cup of coffee, and I'm sure we'll do a show on that at some yeah, point. Yeah, we we definitely need to because that guy could have used it, man. It, it sounds kind of a little rugged and a little uh, stupid all at the same time. <sighs> yeah, it sounds it sounds pretty cowboy and pretty. Uh, I I don't. Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. There's a there's a juxtaposition there between uh, being really rugged and. That may not be in the smartest move, but uh, 
But well, anyway, and, to each and, his own. Yeah, and that's that room, you know, it's like the Marine Corps, man. There's this there's this culture there that you can't get around that's everybody wants to be hard and the harder you are, the more elevated you are in that community, you know, and it's like, well, you know, Rich nailed those nails in with his teeth, you know, well, he's hard, you know. But no, he's stupid. You know. Well, there was a there was a, a phrase that one of my good friend and my the assistant team leader in one of my special operations team, my, my the last team I was in before I got out of the military, and uh, he had this expression that I absolutely love. He said, "It's easy to be hard; it's hard to be smart." Oh and, yeah, uh, it kind of epitomizes the Marine Corps. Uh, you know, it's easy to just do things the hard way and put your head down and just gut it out. It's hard to think about it for two seconds and be like, "Wait a minute." Why are we carrying the seven ton? Why don't we set it down and put the keys in it? Or why don't we set it down and start it up and ride on it? Uh, <laughs> that actually, we, we were training in the Philippines one time and we brought the water bowl, which if the listeners listen, doesn't know what that is, it's this thing you tow behind a huge truck that's full of, you know, thousands of gallons full of water. Well, we took it out to the training area we were at and it, it had to pass through, you know, little creeks and rivers and it, it, through the jungle. And we get it out there and we use it for the week. So it's probably about, a quarter full is all it's got in it, but it's still, you know, tons of water. And we've got our packs on, we've got our gun gear, and and the company gun is like, ah, I don't want to send for the truck. We'll just push this thing back. So we push this thing back all day long. And I, I took a picture of it because I, I want to remember how stupid this is. A bunch of Marines carrying 80 pounds in their pack, pushing this sloshing uh, water bowl. I mean, a lot of that stuff... I get it. You should train for hardships, but uh, some of it is just absolutely needless. Man, that's really funny because Kai and I were just just last night talking about how much harder it is to carry like a five gallon jug that's half full than one that's full because that that sloshing water just creates all this energy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I, I you know, I think that the Marine Corps, that, that culture, that's always going to hold them back as long as they do that. But that's for a whole nother thing. Uh, let's say this out of the way. Neither you nor I were mechanics in the Marine Corps, right? So take how to do vehicle preventive maintenance from a couple of generalists, not not two guys that are mechanics. No, nor nor in civilian life. Yeah, you and I, yeah, you and I are, are definitely not mechanics, uh, just like we're not doctors, just like we're not uh, chefs. Uh, you and I are, are Got our we got a lot of toes and a lot of different pies, right? Yes, we do. All right. So, uh, so with that being said, we're not mechanics, but I do keep an eye on my vehicle. I think you should keep an eye on your vehicle. I know we have some stories about some ways that things can go badly if you're not taking care of your vehicle and you're not taking care of those little problems before they become big problems. But there's some reasons you want to perform some basic vehicle preventive maintenance. There's some reasons you want to keep that car in good, safe, efficient working order. Yeah, and the number one reason for me is it keeps me and my family safe. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. If you don't take care of your vehicle, it's going to let you down. Yeah, that's the most important thing, man. You're, you're passing within a few feet of certain death on the highway every single day. Uh, that, that vehicle is riding on four very small patches of rubber at very high speed. That's an uh, object that weighs thousands of pounds that's passing by other objects that are are moving at a similar speed, weighing thousands of pounds, frequently in the opposite direction. It's really important that that thing be safe. Uh, it's also important that it be reliable. A vehicle breaking down is not a situation that you want to be in, or a vehicle you know, get, getting stuck or becoming otherwise immobilized. 
through something that could have been easily prevented is one of those things that just makes you want to slap your forehead and be like, ah, man, what the hell was I thinking? Yeah, and I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, statistically the most dangerous thing you'll ever do in your life is the thing that you're going to take for granted as an adult, and that is driving your car. And um, I could give you a, a thousand reasons why that's true. I think the listener probably is relatively familiar with them. You know, as a police officer, I worked hundreds of wrecks. <clears throat> Some of them were uh, fatalities, although I wasn't certified to handle fatalities. We had to call in the Tennessee Highway Patrol. But my point is this. It is the most dangerous thing you're going to do, and there's some things that you can do to mitigate a lot of that danger, and that's what we're going to talk about, or some of the things we're going to talk about in today's episode. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. And and uh, one other thing on that, not only does this make your vehicle safer from physical danger, from actual death or dismemberment, and make it more reliable, preventing or lessening those opportunities for that vehicle to break down and leave you stranded, leave you walking leave you in some kind of lurch, it also makes your vehicle more efficient and more long-lived. And you spend you know, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars on a vehicle. It's, it's probably the second biggest investment that most people make in their lifetime is buying a vehicle. Why wouldn't you take care of that investment? Why wouldn't you protect that investment by giving it the longest possible lifespan, keeping it running at the at the top of its ability for as long as you possibly can. Yeah, when we bought um, my youngest son, just turned 16 this year, and, you know, I, I buy all my kids a car, so we we go car shopping. And the car that I decided to buy was a Mercury Milan. I don't even think they make them anymore, but it looked like it was well-kept. And then when we were thumbing through the glove box, when we were checking it out, I found this vehicle preventive maintenance log with this someone that, they said it was owned by a woman. Well, it looked like a man had just taken meticulous care of this car and every single thing that he ever did from topping off this fluid to changing this was was really laboriously detailed. And a matter of fact, the last thing that he had written on there is needs tires with an exclamation point. So I got out, looked at the tires. He was right. And I'm like, okay, I'll buy the vehicle because I know somebody cared for this car. Yeah, that's another big point. This, this will help out your resale value if you take care of that vehicle. It will If you're like me, I like to drive a car until until the wheels fall off. I, I, I like to buy my vehicle cash. I don't like having a payment. I don't like borrowing money to pay for a vehicle. And I don't like buying brand new vehicles because I think there's a ma- you, you spend a massive amount of money just for that privilege of that brand new vehicle. And the minute you drive off that lot, that money just evaporates. You're never going to get that back and resell. But anyway, that's, that's a sidetrack. That's my personal philosophy. If you buy a brand new vehicle, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, provided that you take care of it. Because think about this, Rich. If I buy a brand new F-150 pickup and I take care of it, that loan I get on that vehicle probably at the high end is about six years. That's probably about as long as I'm going to be able to finance a vehicle. But if I take care of this thing, I can probably get 20, 25 years out of that vehicle, meaning it's paid off for 14, 15, 16, 17 years. And I own that vehicle and it's in good working order, but that requires a little bit of effort on my part. I can't just be the guy that, you know, to get that kind of lifespan out of the vehicle, I can't be the guy that never opens the hood, never checks on anything, never keeps an eye on things, and basically just takes it into Jiffy Lube every. 4,000 miles or whatever. You, th- this is going to help you get the maximum possible lifespan out of this vehicle. And I'm, I'm a big, big believer in that. So we got safety. We got longer lifespan. We got it's going to be better for resale. 
those are all good reasons to to listen to this podcast today and and take notes because uh, I think putting more money back in your pocket is a good reason, as well as keeping you and your family safe. So where do we even start something like this? Well, the the first thing about this, it, it is going to cost you a little bit to do to do this, and and the majority of that cost is going to be time. There are a few items that we'll recommend you buy, like tire pressure gauge and stuff later on as we get into this. Those are relatively minor, expensive. Mostly, this is going to take you a little time, but the thing is, it's not going to be a lot of it. You you might need 10 minutes. I'm going to say 10 minutes a week. If you do this once a week, the first time you do this might might take a little bit longer. It might take you, you know, 30 minutes to to figure out where the the dipstick is for your uh, transmission fluid and and whatever else. It, it might take you a little longer the first time. But once you've got this down, and once you've got a checklist that you can just go down that list and check this box, check that box. Uh, okay, now I do this. This can be a really quick, really efficient process. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think the first couple times you do it, you know, and you start building those muscle memories and those good habits, uh, you know, you may have to, you may look at the um, the owner's manual and be like, still scratching your head. Guess what? We got this powerful thing in our pocket called a smartphone, and you probably tube up YouTube, and somebody somewhere has probably made a video for it already. Uh, or you'll find it in a, a car forum or something. So don't worry. You'll figure it out. But start that good habit. And I, I like your idea of every Saturday morning. Um, is that what you personally do? Yeah, I do this every every weekend. It might not be Saturday morning. It may be Sunday morning, just depending on what we've got planned for the weekend. But my, my goal is to do this every single weekend, usually on Saturday morning. Uh, especially before I get out and about, because uh, some things are going to be different once the vehicle's running. Once the tires are hot, the pressure's going to read differently. Um, you know, once you can't check the oil with the engine running, the oil needs to be like settled in the oil pan and stuff like that. So try to do this first thing in the morning on the weekend before uh, before I get out and about and get my day going. Yeah, and you know another thing, and I know that we have a vehicle preparedness. Uh, you know how to prepare your vehicle, almost like a. It's almost like we did with our EDC bags, only this is going to be relative to the vehicle. So I won't say a whole lot about it, but, you know, it's just to me, it's one of those things. Keeping the fluids topped off is like keeping your, you know, I I don't like to come home with less than three quarters of a tank of gasoline in my vehicle. And I kind of equate that like topping off your fluids, you know, never drive a vehicle. Of course, it's a safety and, and bug out kind of thing, but it's also something that's just a good practice to get into. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, some of the cities that I've lived in and, and, you know, I know you don't have this experience. I have lived in some very big, some of the biggest cities in the country. And one thing about most of those cities, if, if you, you know, if you're familiar with the concept of rush hour traffic, basically what that is demonstrating is that even when everything is working perfectly, when all the roads are open, when there's no major accidents, when there's no major weather events, no man-made disasters, that this, that it still doesn't really work. You're, it still might take you hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours to move 25, 30 miles to your house through that traffic because the highways just can't handle the number of cars that there are at the rate of speed that those cars want to move. If something goes wrong with that, you might be stuck on the highway for a significant period of time. And uh, one example I like to give uh, of this, I have a friend that lives in Boston, Massachusetts. I have a few friends up there. And I don't know, several years ago, four or five years ago, there was a big storm that rolled through. The city said, 
hey, we're going to get the salt trucks out, but we, you know, we don't know exactly what's happening yet. We want to wait till it actually starts snowing. Well, by the time it started snowing, it was too late. And, you know, all the companies in, in the city made the decision to cut their workers loose too late. Some people ended up sitting on the highway for 24 hours. And I think I've talked about this maybe in our EDC backpack episode. I've talked about this at some point. But, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a half a tank of fuel guy. I, it, once my vehicle gets to a half a tank, I'm going to want to stop pretty soon and, and get some fuel uh, and, and keep that somewhere between a half and full. Because if something like that happens, at least I've got a half a tank to heat myself, to keep my vehicle idling if traffic's moving really, really slow. Uh, I, I don't want to find myself out there with my little fuel gauge bumping empty, right? Yeah, and I'll tell you a personal story, which I, when I was re-listening to the EDC a backpack episode we did, I'm, I couldn't believe I didn't tell it. Um, I was the uh, deputy director of operations for a, a winter uh, weather disaster here in Tennessee <clears throat> a few years ago when I was with the Red Cross. I get a call like 2 in the morning one night, and um, they're kind of wigging out. They're calling me from the TEMA, which is a Tennessee Emergency Management Agency out of Nashville. They're calling me like, hey, what are we going to do? We've got, I think it was like 12 or 20 miles of vehicles. It was over 700 vehicles that they had counted that were stranded on, on the, uh, in the middle of the night on the interstate. Couldn't move, right? And I'm like, can, you know, can we vector them somewhere if we can get them moving? I'm like, yeah, you know, we'll we'll open up a shelter. We'll do all this and that. We ended up putting Humvees on the road with blankets, and some of the Humvees couldn't even get around to take care of people. And people ended up spending the night out there. Uh, so this kind of stuff happens, and uh, it's why you got to be prepared for it. These stories are honestly probably better served for our uh, our vehicle preparedness episode, yeah. which we which we will get out soon. Uh, and and I do think that stuff's important, but yeah, for right now, let's just say if you got your EDC backpack, a little bit of water, a little bit of food, a warming layer, you you it won't be the most comfortable night you've ever you'll had. But, but and, and a half a tank of fuel, you'll live, right? Yeah, you'll live, and we, we'll go into deeper on some of these stories when we get into our vehicle preparedness. Yeah. So uh, so anyway, this is going to take you a little bit of time. Uh, like I mentioned. Uh, a logbook. Should we talk about the logbook now, Rich, or uh, or should we hold off a- on that a abs- little bit? No, dude. Let's tell it. Let's tell it all. Okay. So, Rich and I. Here's a full confession for you guys. We recorded this episode once, and we talked about a logbook, and we looked online, and we really couldn't find anything that we were super satisfied with. So, what we did is we actually made one. We made one to our specifications. And there's two ways we're going to offer this to you guys. You can go download the individual pages. Those, I, I still haven't actually done this, so uh, I feel like I'm probably going to be able to make this happen. I want to put those individual pages for free as a PDF that you can download, and you can just punch holes in them and put it in a three-ring binder, and you don't have to pay anything. The other option we have is we actually put this on Amazon.com as a vehicle maintenance logbook. It's it's a it's a very slim volume. It's I think it's 84 pages in total. It's got some general information up front where you can fill out all the information about what uh, what motor oil your vehicle takes, what type of transmission fluid your vehicle takes, the date you purchased your tires and your battery, what bulbs for your headlights, your reverse lights, your tail lights, your brake lights, your turn signals, all that good stuff. The next section there's five weeks of basically you date it. All right, Saturday, September 29th, 
you go down the list, check this, check that, and basically just you record some numbers for a few things, you put a check mark for some other things, and you've just PM'd your vehicle and made a record of it. And every five, so basically there's 60, 55 weeks of that in the book, and every five weeks there's a checklist for your emergency preparedness equipment in your vehicle. And then the very last section is if you have to do any corrective maintenance to your vehicle, there's a section to log that stuff too. So so we're pretty proud of this, pretty happy with it, and we actually, actually believe this is an awesome vehicle maintenance logbook. It's got a real cool cover. Uh, and again, there'll definitely be a link to that in the show notes, or you can go to amazon.com and search for ATP vehicle maintenance logbook. Yeah, I'm excited, man. It's, it is a beautiful looking book. Uh, I think the listener will enjoy that. Yeah. So in any case, um, every Saturday morning, grab your logbook, take maybe 10 minutes, and this is going to pay off huge for you in the long term. And uh, actually, we're not the first person to make a vehicle PM log, are we? No, no, we're not. Who else makes one? Well, I'm, I'm sure you remember. I'm sure you probably have a little bit more experience in this than I do. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you don't, but uh, yeah. I only remember this being done maybe one or two times. Yeah, the Marine Corps, uh, for the listener, and probably all services do this in some regard, before they would let you go on a we call that a 96, which is a four-day weekend, like for Thanksgiving or whatever, you would have to line up your vehicles and some responsible adult, like a gunnery sergeant or a staff sergeant, would check your vehicle. And they had a vehicle preventive maintenance checklist, just like Justin and I put together. And they would go down uh, front to back on your card, fore and aft, port and starboard, whatever, and check that car out, make sure it was ready to go. And you didn't get to take off until your car was gassed up, topped off. They would have fluids out there. And um, one of my favorite quotes is, it's the obligation of the responsible to overstate the obvious. And that's what those... Yeah, and those were a lot of really, like some of that stuff was really kind of obtuse, like does the, do the seatbelts in the vehicle work? But some, and any modern vehicle, man, the seatbelts are probably going to work just fine. And um, like some of that stuff is a little frustrating, but some of that stuff was really good information, or really good stuff to check. And that's going to be a lot of the stuff that we talk about checking in this episode. And I think we should just go down this, uh, go down this, list that we put into our PMCS logbook and talk about these uh, items a little bit more. All right, brother, go for it. So first things first, um, I think you should check your fluids. And this might sound counterintuitive. This might sound silly because this is not one of these critical fluids. This is not one of these mysterious fluids that that most people don't understand. This is a really, really basic one. And for me, the first thing I'm going to check is my windshield washer fluid. How about you? Yeah, 100%, man. Um, I don't know if I told this on here or somewhere else, but the, this is the big one for me. And I, to this day, don't go anywhere without a whole jug of windshield washer fluid in my vehicle because it was going across the mountain. There was a, a rock slide that took out 40. So the only way to get from North Carolina to Tennessee was to go some windy path through the Appalachians and you know, kind of place where if you hear banjo music playing, you better haul ass, right? Yeah. And uh, you know the you know the kind of place I'm talking about, Justin. That's right. Yeah. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> and it, it uh, was snowing, and there was salt on the road, and it got on my my windshield and just turned crusty, and I didn't have enough fluid, and I could not get the thing off, and I ended up driving for a long way with my head partially hanging outside the window. <clears throat> it's, it's all I could do. So I will never be without that again. 
Yeah, absolutely agree. And that's almost exactly the same example I was going to give in in the Pacific Northwest. A lot of times, anytime, a lot of times during winter, there's going to be salt on the road and there's going to be moisture on the road. And those two things will accumulate on your windshield in a white film that is, unless you've got some windshield washer fluid, it's you're, it's basically like trying to look out through a glazed window, man. It's just not going to happen. So every Saturday morning, go out to my vehicle, pop my hood. That's the first thing I'm going to make sure I have. And since I use that on an almost daily basis... I'm probably going to need some more. So it's like you said, it's not a bad idea to keep a jug in your car, have a couple of jugs in your garage or whatever your situation is. Have, have a jug of that stuff handy. And uh, basically, I'm going to check it. And if it needs some, I'm going to top it off and I'm going to I'm going to annotate that. I checked it and I topped it off. And not all windshield wiper fluid is created equal. You know, it depends on the the kind of the season that you're in because some of the stuff is designed like antifreeze. It will not freeze and bust and and tear up your lines. So, it, but if you're in the summer, you don't necessarily need that level of protection because uh, it's a little bit more pricey. I personally run that most of the year, but you, you don't necessarily need to do that. Would you agree? Yeah, I do. I I just run the blue stuff most of the year, and it's it's not terribly expensive. I don't go in for the, uh, you know, the eight ninety nine bottle, uh, eight ninety nine dollar bottle of Rainex anti bug stuff for the summertime. I don't I don't feel like I've I have tried it. I don't feel like it does a much better job than just conventional dollar ninety nine windshield washer fluid you get at the gas station. So yeah, I, I don't I, I buy anything special or expensive for windshield washer fluid just so a you, cheap bottle do you so find even in the winter time yeah what do you use in the winter time like some sort of de-icing you no know, so some of it will f- actually freeze <clears throat> so you have to make sure that there's um some windshield washer fluid that is designed for extremely cold temperatures and if you live in a place like uh you know i don't know north dakota or wisconsin where you you probably know what i'm talking about so i uh it was my understanding that uh, all of it all, that's why you don't want to use water that's why they never recommend that you just put water in there is that uh all of it has a little bit of alcohol in there to keep that stuff from freezing and i can look that up yeah i've i've had some of it turn to a slushy on me man yeah i i uh i am not typically in places quite that cold as you know in the uh in the Pacific Northwest, it, it just doesn't get quite that cold, man. Yeah, which leads Let's us see. into our next freeze, uh, our next freeze, antifreeze. Yeah, so I think this is probably the second most important fluid in your vehicle, and this is one that a lot of people just don't check. Um, I don't know why I'm in this mentality, but when I think of checking fluids, the first place my head goes is checking the oil because it's real easy to check, and I, I feel like most most people know how to do it pretty easily. Antifreeze, you have to get a little bit more involved with the vehicle. Antifreeze and or coolant, same same thing. This is probably one of the more important things in your vehicle, and this is the one that has left me stranded once, is running out of uh, coolant in the vehicle. It is, and it's, it's kind of one of those things, to me, it's a little deceptive. Like, if you add a little bit of oil, we're used to that, right? Because the engine's going to use some... Uh, naturally, especially my Honda used to really just drink the stuff. It didn't leak it out. It just used it. Windshield upper fluid. Every time you hit that thing, it's squirting some out. But antifreeze coolant is a closed system. So if you're losing some, it may be because you have a leak. So that's one of those things. If you're constantly having to add it, I would probably check and see if you have a leak. No doubt about it, man. I would definitely check and make sure you don't have a leak. And if you do, I would get that fixed as soon as possible. 
because that leak is not going to get better on its own. And if you're not running the, the proper amount of coolant in there, your vehicle's not going to run, first of all, as efficiently as it possibly could. And secondly, if that leak gets worse and you lose all your coolant, you're going you're gonna to have some much bigger problems and end up sitting on the side of the road. So I, I would get that in as soon as possible. Have you ever used any of that stuff that you just pour into your radiator that's supposed to find the hole and, and plug it? Oh my God! Yes, I've had terrible. I think we, I think you and I talked about this the first time we uh, recorded this. I had terrible experience. I've used two or three different kinds, and I think ruined two or three different radiators trying to do it. So now, um, my mo is: soon as I recognize I have a leak, and here's a little tip on how I do that. I don't know if you've got a tip for finding leaks, Justin, but. I will pull the car over. I'll take a piece of cardboard, lay it underneath the vehicle, and then inspect the cardboard in the morning. Do you do that? Yeah, if I yeah if I feel like I have some sort of antifreeze leak, and it will tell you. So I had a I had an SUV. This is this was several years ago. It's probably in 2010 or so. I I just drove into town from. I, I lived in a, a little beach community, and it was probably 25 miles to the the next biggest city where I could actually get things and go to the grocery store and all that stuff. So driven out there on a Sunday, and I started back and I looked down at my temper temperature gauge and it was pegged. And this was this vehicle wasn't that old. It was maybe five or six years old. So I immediately there's a Jiffy Lube or some little oil change place there and I'm like, well I better I better swing in here and just I don't know if they can help me or not, but I need to get off the road and this is the best place to do it probably. So they they uh top me up with antifreeze and like fill me completely up. And one thing if you uh, if this happens to you, you run completely out, here's what you need to do. You need to fill that up with antifreeze and generally a 50-50 mix of antifreeze and water for most climates. And you'll see your radiator fill completely up. You'll see it top completely off. The thing you need to do after that is start your vehicle and let it run for a minute because it actually pushes this stuff through the vehicle and that's what keeps your vehicle at, a, at an acceptable temperature is that fluid moving through it uh, collecting that heat and then moving it out into that reservoir, the radiator where air is blowing over it. So, <laughs> they, uh, so if you do this, you need to top it all the way up, turn the vehicle on, let it suck some into the engine, and then top it up the rest of the way. Otherwise, your radiator won't be full. And what was weird about that, somehow my fluids, my uh, antifreeze was completely empty or very, very close to it. I didn't have a leak. I never had an issue again. I kept an eye on it, but never had a problem again. I don't know what happened. Yeah, that's weird. And um, I've had several problems with thermostats. Uh, you know, I'm talking about the little thermostat that's inside that reaches a certain temperature. Then it'll open up and let the water come out of the radiator and move th- through the engine. Yeah. Where the, the little detector inside the thermostat would go bad and it would no longer realize that it's that the vehicle's hot and it, it wouldn't let the water pass through. So I, it got to the point on one of my Jeeps, I took the thermostat out on the side of the road when it kept doing this to me and I just took a pair of pliers and ripped the insides of it out so the water could just pass straight through. So the engine never got hot enough to turn the heater on. But I mean, sometimes you have to do this. Uh, but I mean, to get back to the coolant though, uh, you asked me, and I think that's a great question because the listener may be like, well, I've got a little bit of leak, so I'll just pull off the road, go into AutoZone and get a jug of the, or a little jar of this stuff poured in the radiator and it'll it'll take care of my leak. And I would caution you, don't do that. Um, that stuff may cost 10 bucks, and the guy at the radiator place is saying he can't fix it for anything less than 200 Spend the $200 to have 
it properly repaired. I've had that stuff get inside my engine, ruin the radiator, ruin my hoses, ruin the water pump. It cost me close to $1,000. So um, uh, that, that was my experience, Justin. I don't know about yours. Yeah, same, uh, same. And, all, and one thing you, you may not realize is a radiator for your vehicle, a brand new radiator is probably not all that expensive. Uh, I mean, frequently for a lot of vehicles out there on the road, you can buy that radiator for under a hundred bucks. The, the problem is the labor and I'm not going to be changing my own radiator out. So yeah, you're going to pay somebody for a, a couple hours of time to take your old radiator out, put a new one in. But it is, it, it's absolutely imperative. Your vehicle's not going to run. Once it uh, gets above a certain temperature, you're going to lose power. If you keep going with it, keep it running above a certain temperature, your, your engine's potentially going to seize completely up. Uh, this is, you man, you have to keep an eye on this. You have to keep those, that antifreeze good. Right on. So on the next one on our list is engine oil. Yep. Uh, so engine oil, if you've never checked your oil, there's going to be what they call a dipstick. So basically what you're looking for in the engine compartment is you're looking for, and typically they make it bright yellow or red, something you can easily spot. It's a little hook, a little handle, and it's attached to this long, flat piece of metal that goes down into the oil pan. And basically that just measures the amount of oil you have sitting down there in the oil pan. So there's two things we're looking at here. The first thing is the quantity of oil. And generally, there's some sort of little hatched area on that on the very end of that dipstick that will tell you, like, okay, the oil should come to here. You should see oil on this, on this dipstick. If you don't see any, that's a problem. You probably need to put some oil in the vehicle. Um, if you're seeing oil, that's a good thing. It should come up to the to about the maximum, to about the highest line on that dipstick, generally speaking. And you don't want to overfill this. Um, that can uh, cause your oil pressure to go too high, and your engine's going to end up just burning that extra oil off. So you can't. Uh, it's not like you can put twice as much as you need and go twice as long. Yeah, my, that's one of the things. You know, my dad's. Uh, you know, he's one of these shade tree mechanics, and he's a damn good one. He, my grandfather uh, owned a junkyard and sold cars, so my father, when the car would come in, my, it was my dad's responsibility as a child to get the car up and running so that it could be sold so he can fix anything. And one of the things he's always said is he would rather the vehicle be uh, have a little less oil than than too much oil. Have you ever heard that before? I sure have. Yeah, yeah. It's far far more harmful to the engine if it has too much oil in it. So, like you said, Justin, that's a great advice. Don't think, well, shoot, I'll put it in there, and I won't have to. I won't have to check it as often. It's not the way it works, guys. The other thing is, whatever the owner's manual says, type of oil you need to put in that engine. It's so very critically important that you stick with it. It's not SAE 30 for everything. If you're like my Ford F-150, I think it's FW20, full synthetic is what they recommend, and that's all I put in there. And I recommend full synthetic, too, over conventional motor oil. It lasts a lot longer. It's it, it's just a much higher quality oil. It functions well over a much wider range of temperatures and all this stuff. Read the dam owner's manual and find out what weight of engine oil you should be putting in that engine and stick with it and pick a synthetic one. So the other thing we're looking at on the dipstick, other than just the quantity of oil, is we're kind of making a judgment about the quality. And this takes some experience. This is a thing that you're only really going to pick up after you know, several months of doing this consistently and a couple of oil changes and see the life cycle that your oil goes through. And if your oil is just completely black, if it smells a little bit like fuel, if it, uh, if you touch it and it, it's got any kind of 
little little tiny grit in it at all. That oil is no good, it, or it's probably it's probably time to change the oil. One huge caveat here: if you have a diesel vehicle, that oil, the moment you fire that vehicle up, it's going to turn black. You, you're not going to get any kind of visual indicator on whether the oil is good to go or not, uh, and that that gets a lot more into experience with uh, with diesel vehicles. I've owned several diesel trucks. And uh, you, you kind of have to be a little bit more experienced to make a value judgment about the oil in those. Yeah, totally agreed. So, like, if you change the first time you change the oil, you know, it might look like a nice. Now, the viscosity of it may may not be like honey at all. Shouldn't be, but but it may be that kind of a color. But like Justin's saying, you're going to see it change from that to like an amber to maybe a darker, and you're going to know as you touch it and feel it that the viscosity is being lost. But I also tell you, like on my F-150 or my wife's Buick, there's engine sensors that tells you when it's time to change the oil. Uh, and so far, I've kind of trusted them, and I just from what I see the oil and what the engine's telling me, it seems to be pretty spot on. And what 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 say you? Well, I don't I don't have a feature like that in my vehicle, but yeah, I, I think that's probably a pretty good indicator. Um, you know, again, I, I'm just kind of a fan of getting familiar with your vehicle, and you know, just doing this just doing this PMCS, this basic check the fluids, check the whatever that we're going to go through is going to get you, you're going to learn a lot more than just how to do those things. You're going to observe things about your vehicle and pick up idiosyncrasies about it and potentially identify little things that you can fix for $200 before they become big things that you've got to fix for $1,000. So uh, even though I, I, yeah, I would say generally I trust those sensors, those sensors do go bad uh, and and you're going to get a lot of benefit out of actually getting off your butt for 10 minutes on Saturday morning and doing this. Absolutely. So anything else on oil? I think that's pretty much it. I'm sure we've probably forgotten a little something, but uh, yeah, you, you know, like we mentioned in the logbook, you want to know what kind of oil oil your vehicle takes. You want to note that. Uh, you want to buy the same brand, the same weight, all that stuff that is in the vehicle. And I'd say probably have an extra quarter of that in there. If it needs to be topped off, you've already got the right stuff to do it and you don't have to go hunt for it. So uh, I guess the next thing is... Uh, this is this is a real important one here too. Is brake fluid? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And they're not all just like oils. Not all brake fluid is created equal. I mean, there's uh, there's a dot. What one, two, three? I don't even know how hot it goes now. Yeah, yeah. You you again. Where are they going to find that? Well, in the owner's manual, of course. In the owner's manual, read that damn owner's manual. Uh, don't don't just throw that thing in the in the glove box and never think about it. You need to pull that thing out, and learn a little bit about your vehicle before you start doing this. So, um, brake brakes are also a closed system, and that's a it, it, we're working on some hydraulics in there that require fluid to work. Uh, so you want to make sure if if you're leaking brake fluid, that's another thing that you absolutely want to get on top of, want to know about. And that's also a pressurized system. So uh, just like your uh, just like your antifreeze coolant, that's a closed loop and it's a system that's under pressure when it's when the vehicle's running, when it's being used. So uh, typically you're going to have to, there's no dipstick for this because that thing would get blown off of there and your whole system wouldn't work. Typically you have to look in the master cylinder for this. Yeah, and the master cylinder... Um You'll have to look and see where that's located by using your owner's manual. Sorry, folks, we're going to keep saying that because guess what my mother would do back in the 70s and 80s when when my dad would buy a brand new car? Throw the damn thing away. <laughs> Craziness. But anyway, so yeah, you want to, <laughs> unbelievable. But you definitely want to 
take that off, find out where that is, and and look at it. Because I will tell you, this is another one of those things that if it's going down, there's a reason it's going down. You're losing fluid somewhere. Every time you push the brakes, you put a tremendous amount of pressure on the brake lines. And as anybody who's changed brakes will tell you, you got to bleed those lines and get the bubbles out of the fluid and all kinds of stuff. So this is something that is incredibly important, especially if you have a vehicle that you're going to use brake fluid in the master cylinder and then uh, the clutch. If you have a um, manual transmission, you're going to need probably the same kind of brake fluid inside that as well. Yeah, that's an awesome, awesome point. So uh, basically, if you notice you're losing any kind of brake fluid, you need to get on top of that immediately, if not sooner. I, I, don't, I don't know if the listeners knows, but I, you know, like I said, I've owned some diesel trucks that I, I actually had to pull fairly heavy trailers. And one thing that's pretty common among people that pull trailers is uh, the idea that pretty much anything could pull that trailer, but you need to buy that vehicle based on whether or not it can stop that trailer. And, that, and the same goes for your vehicle. Going fast is really cool. What's even cooler is being able to stop that vehicle when you need it to stop. And if you've ever been in a vehicle that won't stop when you need it to stop, you, you'll you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's terrifying. And um, that's something you know, I used to say that when I was younger, they couldn't make a vehicle that uh, went fast enough. And now they can't make a vehicle that'll stop clean enough or ride smooth enough. But brake fluid is incredibly important. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and that's, I tell you... Especially because nowadays, you know, it seems like when I took driver's ed and some of the other courses that I took, they taught us a lot, like how to stop the vehicle without brakes. I don't think they do that much anymore. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I wouldn't really know. I, I really have no idea on that. So No, I said with, with my kids, yeah, I, I think that from what I've seen that they don't go over that much. But yeah, trans, transmission fluid is is equally as important, if not more so. And um, one of the things that you'll notice about transmission fluid right off the bat is the color. It's bright cherry red, isn't it? Oh, sorry. Yeah, so transmit. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Transmission fluid is red. It's it's very distinctive in color. And typically, if you have an automatic transmission, there's going to be a second dipstick in that engine compartment that that will uh, let you check on this. And and this is as far as we're going to go on fluids. We're not going to get into uh, into checking the differential fluid and and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, you should you should keep an eye on your transmission fluid um, and keep that topped up as well. Anything else on that, Rich? Yeah, and uh, and again, you and I are we're not mechanics, but and I've heard so many different things on this. I'm really um, reticent to talk about it any further. I will say that when the transmission fluid is in there, it should be cherry red, and as it goes bad, it'll obviously turn to black. But I've thought, okay, you know, I've got a little bit of slipping going on here. Maybe I should do a transmission flush. I know it's a service that most places will use, but I've I've heard different mechanics say different things on you don't ever want to do that. Uh, so I'm going to leave it up to whatever the owner's manual says and whatever your trusted transmission uh, guy tells you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and follow the, you know, the prescribed maintenance intervals for your vehicle, those 30,000, 50,000, 100,000 mile maintenance intervals. You should be doing, uh, you know, be making sure you hit those wickets because there are important things in there that go well beyond the scope of what we're talking about here. Things like your timing change should be changed probably about every 100,000 miles because if that thing goes, guess what, man, you're you're not going anywhere. So, definitely in addition to to the preventive stuff that we're talking about here keeping an eye on this stuff definitely follow those prescribed corrective maintenance intervals as well 
Yep. So where do we go next? All right, man. So we talked about fluids. Um, and since we're under the battery, one thing, or uh, since we're under the battery, since we're under the hood, one thing that we should probably talk about is just quickly taking a look at your battery and making sure those terminals are clean. And and uh, if anything needs to be knocked out off of that, just uh, if, take a wire brush and knock any kind of corrosion off of there. I've typically... That seems to be much less of a problem than it used to be with old lead-acid batteries, and it also typically seems to be less of a problem because now those uh, on most new cars, those terminals seem to be protected with some sort of cover that kind of prevents, seems to prevent a lot of that corrosion from happening. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and if you've ever looked at your battery and thought, man, I'm growing lichens underneath here, that's that's not uh, cool. <laughs> that's not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, so like Justin's saying, if, you, if you're seeing that, that stuff has to go. You're going to have to scrub that off. Uh, you can use a wire brush or whatever. They make some really cool stuff for that. You want to get that out there because that's robbing your battery. And r- really, it's it's nothing more than you know the hydrogen gas that's being released from the acid in the battery, and it's mixing with the atmosphere and causing some really nasty things to take place. Just scrub it off. Some people say you can use a little Coca-Cola. I, I'm not a redneck. I don't do that. But you definitely want to take care of that. And one of the things that, that we do here that my dad has taught me, and it seems to work okay, is put a little bit, once you clean it off, put a little bit of Vaseline on there. Put it back, put the cap back on it, and it should take care of that. Oh, I like that idea, man. I've never heard that. That's uh, especially might... if you because we've you know you and I have lived around the ocean for uh, quite a bit of our lives. You know, I spent twelve years living on the beach, and it's you know you're going to get that salty air, and guess what? It's it, that's the kind of atmosphere that really helps that stuff grow. So a little bit of Vaseline will go a long way when it comes to that. Yeah, that's absolutely right, man. That's absolutely right. All right, where we're we going next, Rich? Let's talk about tires, man. I'm I'm all about tires. I'm all about tires, too. Well, for the same reason that you led into it already, and I'm going to hit on it one more time. Think about it. Your car, hurtling down the interstate at breakneck speed, has everything that you care about on this earth. It has you. It has your family, your loved ones. And it's riding on four, four by four inch patches of rubber. And that's it. Yep. That's all that's holding that vehicle to the road is those four, four by four patches that that's uh, that kind of boggles the mind, man. I just repeated the same thing you said because every time I hear this, every time I say this, I'm kind of amazed by it, man. We're putting thousands of pounds of metal and plastic and fluids and speeds that would boggle the mind just 50, 60, 70 years ago, and we're putting them on these tiny, tiny patches of rubber and relying on that to, to hold us to the ground and keep us... Keep us safe, and that all depends on the quality of your tires and the upkeep of your tires. This is a thing, you, you know, if you've got a, a new vehicle in good working order, you're probably not going to see your oil go down a whole lot. You're probably not going to need to add a bunch of oil or uh, or that sort of thing. Those systems are probably pretty well take care of themselves, and I think you should keep an eye on it, but your tires are going to be a little different. They are going to need some maintenance. They are going to need you to... Uh, actually keep an eye on them and keep them at their optimum in their optimum configuration right yeah so now that we've kind of got safety a little bit out of the way um one of the things with it having fully inflated tires can do is definitely help you with your fuel efficiency and that's one of the things that i remember when president obama you know they were, they were talking about energy independence and he kind of threw this out out there and said hey you know if we all if all Americans kept their tires fully inflated it would save you know x 
you know, X number of gallons of gas over a year, and it was a tremendous amount. <clears throat> People kind of laughed at it, but he's absolutely right. That's at the macro level. Try it at the micro level and see how effective that is. And all you got to do is get a, a simple little tire pressure gauge you can pick up almost anywhere. At the gas station, you can pick one up at Walmart, at an AutoZone, and keep it in your uh, your door panel. Check them on the Saturday mornings like Justin has uh, recommended, and I tell you what, you will not regret it. Yeah, so you can get as fancy as you want with these things. There are digital ones that will give you a digital readout. There are ones that have basically a dial that will, you know, kind of like a torque wrench. It'll push this little indicator around, and when you remove pressure, that indicator will be on whatever the maximum pressure recorded was. There's the little stick ones that I have that are, Two bucks, probably in a bucket on the counter. You're at the checkout counter at your local auto parts store. Basically, you just press that thing on the valve stem cap. A little stick pops out, and it's graduated, and it'll tell you where. To, I don't think that's the most precise way to do it, but that's fine. You just want to be somewhere within a, that recommended range for pressure in that tire. And you want to do this when the tire is cold. After you drive, that tire has friction on the road. It heats up the air in there, which causes it to expand, which causes your tire pressure to increase. All the tire pressure recommendations are based on a cold reading. So you want to do this before you're actually out and about driving. Uh, So like Rich said, this massively, well, not massively, but it definitely increases your fuel efficiency. And back to those four by four square inch patches, that your vehicle is riding on those depend on your ve- on your tires being correctly inflated if your vehicles are if your tires are overinflated it's going to cause the the bearing surface of your tire to have a more convex shape it's going to get more and more rounded and your patch is actually going to get smaller if your tires are underinflated that patch is going to be bigger and your tires are going to be softer and you're not going to get the same traction so keeping these at at the correct uh, pressure is really, really important for that safety benefit. Yeah, and and oxygen will migrate out of the tire. You know, it's it's going to find a way to get out. But one of the things, if, if you want, you can put nitrogen in the tire. If you're not familiar with that, nitrogen works really well inside a, t- a tire and keep them inflate and, and stable over the long term. One of the things that you might notice, if you've ever seen a green um, cap on the end of the valve stem on a tire, it will probably mean that there's nitrogen in that tire. Now, it's okay if, you, if you're caught out somewhere and you have nitrogen in your tire, you've checked it, you've got to add a few pounds of, of oxygen, that's fine. You can mix those. It won't hurt anything. <clears throat> but you will need a tire pressure gauge, and you probably need some way to inflate it, whether you carry that in your vehicle that you can plug into the cigarette lighter, or you just swing by a gas station and add that. But knowing where you where your tires are, and some of the newer cars will have a tire pressure sensor already built into them but i'm i'm a little leery of those i like this is one of the things i like to check myself yeah definitely you and me both and uh you know back to what you said about having to stop at a gas station and put some air in your tires that's another awesome reason we talked about having some change in your edc bag that's another awesome reason to have a couple bucks and quarters because in some states like california uh, I think I think California requires by law if a if a gas station offers air, it has to be for free, uh, which I'm all for. I think I think there should be as few impediments as possible into keep keeping their vehicles in in good, safe, working order. But um, a lot of places you're going to have to pay a dollar to use that air machine for 
I don't know, five minutes or whatever they give you. So you probably going to need to have some change or at least some cash on you. Because if you, let's be honest, if you got to pull up at the gas station, use the ATM, break a 20, and then ask for quarters, that that's a lot of hurdles in the way of you having correctly inflated tires. So keep some change with you. Sorry, just my little rant on that. No, I think that's a great uh, segue back to the other episode. But the next thing I'd say is check the the tread depth. So there's two ways you can do this. We, we talked about this on the how to change a tire episode, but your tread every oh, six, eight, 10 inches. If you look in the specific lines of tread, and if you really look at your tires closely, you'll see what I'm talking about. Every, I don't know, somewhere between every six and 12 inches, there's going to be a little bar of rubber that runs perpendicular to the tread. And basically once your tread is down to that level, it's it's too low. It's time to get those tires changed. The other way I've I, this is kind of the shade tree redneck way to do it. And the way I've the way I've pretty much always done it once my tires get kind of low is to take a penny and I'll basically turn that penny so Abraham Lincoln is upside down and I'll drop that penny into the tread. And if I can see the top of Abe Lincoln's head or if or if the top of his head just comes to the top of that tread, then that means it's time to change those tires. A couple like. Probably looking at those indicators that are embedded in the tires is is truly the better way to do it. But uh, a couple different techniques there for you if if you can't for whatever reason can't find those indicators or you bought some cheap tires that don't have them or, or something along those lines. Um, one other thing I wanted to hit on that I think we missed, Rich, is what is the correct pressure for your tires and where you find that. You can find that in your owner's manual. <clears throat> Or you can find it on the edge of the tire. A lot of good stuff in that owner's manual. The other place you might find that is uh, is that sticker on the A-pillar inside your driver's door. Yeah, it's there. It's on the side of the tire, and it's in the owner's manual. So you got no excuse not to know where it's at. That's absolutely right. It's it's all over the place on that vehicle. So, yeah, take that again, take that cold reading. Take a look at your tires and inspect that tread depth. Is there anything else we should be looking for on the tire, Rich? Yeah, there's a couple things. Uh, one of the ones I'd like to talk about is if you have uneven wear occurring. You know, tires are not, well, I'm checking them. Like Rich and Justin said, I'm checking the air and everything seems to be good to go. If you've got a bulge in that tire, you're going to have to get that tire changed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because that means that the radials inside the tire have, have broken loose and, and that's you're you're looking at a potential blowout. It doesn't happen that often with the newer tires, but it certainly can happen. If you've got uneven wear occurring, like too much of the tires wearing thinner, sooner, or faster on the outside of the tire, the tire's towing in, you need to get the alignment adjusted. Um, let's see, if you have threads showing, like the teenage rich brown, that's that's how I knew when I needed to change a tire, when the actual the rubber would wear all the way down to the metal, and I'd go, oh, okay. I guess it's time to change the tire. If you can ever see metal, that tire is too dangerous to be going on the road. That's my opinion. What do you think? I, absolutely, man. There is no question about that. And if you've ever heard the term steel belted radials or whatever, there's steel, pretty strong steel wire embedded in that rubber that makes that tire stronger and more resilient, longer lived and all that stuff. If you ever see that, that is a that that is a life safety issue. You need to stop everything. And your first priority now before that vehicle moves again is to call that tire place, go straight there, and get those tires changed. Yeah. Anything else on tires? I think that's probably just about it, man. I, I, I can't think of too much else on that. And, uh, and and this sounds like a lot. Basically, this is just a quick 
Okay, I'm gonna pop the tire pressure gauge on here. Okay, is my pressure all good? Yep, here's the PSI. All right, let's take a look at the tread. Is everything wearing evenly? Yeah, looks good. Everything good on this one? Yep, it's deep enough, it's wearing evenly. All right, we're good with tires. Let's move on to lights and safety. And uh, Justin, this is I'm, another. I'm sorry, yeah. brother. One one more final thing, and I'm so sorry to backtrack. No, no, no. On the tires, man, when I go in to have my synthetic oil changed at the six, six, seven thousand mile mark, I will have them rotate the tires at that point too, because you just don't want to check them and leave them there. They need to be rotated. What do you think? I I could not agree more with that. And as a matter of fact, if you have a full size spare tire, which I, I do not have a full size spare tire with my vehicle currently, but that is a thing that both Kai and I are, are, considering doing is getting full-size spares for our vehicles you need to rotate that tire into the rotation as well um, it it's uh, if you ever need that spare spare tire you want it to have some you know similar uh, wear as all the rest of your tires if it's much more worn or if it's brand new and all the uh, all the rest of your tires are worn you're going to get uneven handling so you want to work that spare into the rotation and that and that increases the life of your other four tires because that's 25% of the time that any given tire is not actually being used. So uh, when you buy a set of tires, just buy five. And uh, if you've got the space for a full-size spare tire and rotate that one into the mix too. Right on. So you were saying lights, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Let's move into, let's move into lights and safety stuff. Uh, Making sure all these things work is important for a couple of uh, reasons. First of all, there's the obvious safety reasons, Uh, safety reasons of driving at night with headlights and you know, not not getting T-boned because you didn't your turn signal doesn't work and all that good stuff. But there's also important uh, legal considerations here. We don't want to get pulled over. We want to spend as little time possible inconvenience by interacting with the law because we were a bonehead and didn't know our brake light was out. So uh, we're going to check these things and. Uh, I'm a, I'm just going to go down the list here of of stuff you should probably be checking your headlights, your tail lights. Uh, so basically, all that involves is uh, you know put your key in your car and turn it to the battery setting, turn your lights on. Both of those things should be burning. Uh, turn your left turn signal on. Check the front. Check the back. Turn your right signal on. Check the front. Check the back. Uh, if those things work, your hazard lights are probably going to work. But I'm going to bump those hazards just make just to double check that all four of those hazards are going. And those things, man, those those hazards are a thing that most people don't use on a probably even a monthly basis. But man, when you need those things, you really, really freaking need them. Uh, I'm also going to check my reverse lights. Those are kind of important for safety, especially safety of others. If I'm backing out of a parking space at night in a you know in a shopping plaza, that area is probably. Uh, reasonably well lit, but I, I want that extra light to make sure there's not a kid behind me or a shopping cart behind me or whatever. Um, and then, uh, so uh, daytime running lights, if you have those, you want to make sure those burn as well. And that just involves turning your lights back off and make sure those daytime runners are on. And then uh, your tag lights, believe it or not. Uh, Kai got pulled over leaving, going back home from our first date because she had a tag light out. So uh, you want to make sure those things burn as well. Yeah, that's a huge, a hugely important one. And that was that was always an easy one as a police officer to stop people with a, with a tag light out. But if you have a milky headlight cover, um, and for some reason a lot of the ones that were made in the early 2000s or the late 90s, those headlight covers, whatever kind of plastic they made them out of, really got milky. 
and they're, they make really good headlight restoration kits that work. Or you can get a little bit of toothpaste and mix it with some baking soda and clean that thing up or maybe some um, rubbing compound, whatever, and should clean that up because that is a tremendous safety issue. You're losing so many lumens by getting reflected around inside the headlight because it can't get past the cover. Yep, and again, I recommend going down to your local auto parts store uh, and filling out. If you if you get this logbook, either you download the individual pages and make your own logbook or you buy the bound version on Amazon.com of the logbook. Go down to the parts store, figure out what headlights, what, what bulbs you need for all of these things, and go ahead and fill that in. That's going to save you a ton of time next time you go in to to have to get headlights you don't have to pull out their catalog and look for your make model and whatever else just take the actual time to to fill that in and that that's going to save you a lot of time in the long run um i yeah i don't think i had too much else to say on that rich um other thing you might want to take a look at in, in this is not in our logbook, but your windshield wipers, you, you probably have a pretty good idea if those things are working or not. If those things are cracked and whatever, uh, you need to change those thing out. Good, the good news is they typically last for a long time. Uh, you, you're pretty much going to know when those things go bad, but if those things get bad, change them out. Just like your headlights, if they're not adequately clear in your windshield, man, that's that's a big safety issue, not just for you, but for everybody else on the road with you. Um, I'm going to say the next thing you want to check is, and and this one's kind of silly, but every Saturday when you do your uh, when you do your uh, preventive maintenance checks and services, take a look at your registration, your insurance card, and your inspection information, whatever your state might happen to have, and make sure those things are good to go. That that insurance card that your insurance company mails you every six months and you print it out, um, that thing that thing's probably going to go out of date and. and well, I'll just say it because I've been in this situation, especially going on to military bases. To get onto a base, a, a new base, especially some of these restricted facilities, you have to get a special pass. And part of that is walking into the visitor center with your ID card, your vehicle registration, and your insurance. And I've, I've been in that situation before where the most recent insurance card I have expired six weeks ago because the insurance company mailed it to me. I didn't take the time to print it. I didn't take the time to walk out to my car and put it in the glove box. So just make sure those things are good to go. Yep. Sound advice, my friend. Um, what's So where, where do we go now? Uh, well, I was just, I was just going to say one other thing on that is that's going to uh, – that that thing right there, it, those those paperwork problems are going to keep you from being pulled over. And, and we'll do an episode about uh, – you know, interaction, interacting with the police and whatever, and, and just avoiding that. But uh, paperwork problems are one of the chief reasons that that people get pulled over. So just just avoid that that situation totally and keep that stuff up to date. Yeah, and I'm heading to a military base, not next week, the week after next. And yeah, I, I always do that because you know you're not getting on a Marine Corps base unless you have all your damn paperwork in order. I can promise you that. Okay, so uh, let's talk about getting a vehicle serviced. Okay, so uh, first of all, I would say go to an expert. I would say if you need corrective maintenance, you need to go to somebody that's actually a mechanic. I, I, I would say, you know, unless you know somebody like Rich's dad that is a really awesome mechanic that's been working on vehicles all his life and, and can really do this, I probably want to go to an expert. And by an expert, I mean, A, somebody that's actually a mechanic, but B, also somebody that uh, is insured 
and I'm going to be able to trust their work, and I'm going to be able to trust that if they change my brakes and my vehicle doesn't stop, that I've, I've got some recourse that this isn't my buddy saying like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work, man, but uh, here you go. I, I want to have somebody that's that's going to give me a high degree of confidence that the the mechanical repairs that are done on my vehicle or even even preventive repairs are, are I, I want a high degree of confidence in those. I totally agree. That's why I put in here a caveat emptor, you know, buyer beware when it comes to uh, getting in that mechanic. And normally when I'll move to a new town, one of the first things I'm doing is like, hey, do you have a good mechanic? You know, who do you guys use around here? And I'll... Finding that guy and locking him down because especially the newer vehicles, you know, when I was growing up, you could work on an old Mopar with little, little trouble. You could buy a Chilton's manual and, you know, a shade tree and a couple of beers and fix the damn thing. But nowadays, with the diagnostics and the computers in them, you really are probably going to have to find an expert. So I would encourage you to lock one down soon and someone that you can trust because that guy has a lot of... um he, you know, he has the potential to impact your life. Yeah, and I would find that now rather than waiting until you have an emergency and need to find that guy. I would start checking around now and and asking your friends, asking your family, that sort of thing. And a lot of our listeners probably have a family auto service person that they that they know and recommend and whatever. But if they don't, if you have just moved, do what Rich says, man. Go out and find that guy now. Make contact, get a get a good feeling about this person before you really need it in an emergency. Before your vehicle's on the side of the road, needing a needing that new radiator, find out who's going to put it in now. Yeah. So uh, when it comes to that, I personally I don't do my own oil changes. I, I I take it to the same guy every time. Use a full synthetic so that I can go between, <clears throat> like I said earlier, seven to eight thousand miles on the service interval service interval and I'll do the tire rotation at the same time but uh, we talked about tire rotations about every six to eight thousand miles we talked about why that's important what what other manufacturer recommended service intervals are you familiar with Justin uh, so most vehicles most newer vehicles are going to have a recommended okay at 25,000 miles you need to have this changed. At 50,000 miles, you need to have that same thing changed again. Plus, look at these two things. That, uh, they usually have like a 25 or 30,000 mile more advanced service interval. And, you know, as an example, like I said, a lot of vehicles, at, at least in the price range that I'm driving, about every 100,000 miles, you need to have that time and belt changed, whether it, whether it needs it or not. Because, <clears throat> well, if it needs it, that vehicle's not going anywhere. If that if that time chain comes off, uh, that that vehicle's not going anywhere. So I don't want to wait for that to actually go bad before I change it. I want to about that hundred thousand mile mark get that thing changed. There's a lot of things like that that are going to be in that owner's manual. Hate to bring it up again, but that owner's manual is going to give you the recommended maintenance schedule for that vehicle, and I would I would stick to that. That's for a reason. And you keep bringing up the timing belt, and if the listener is not familiar, if the timing belt does in fact go out, you know you could have had it changed for let's say eight hundred to a thousand dollars, whatever. But if it does go out, the engine is done; it's not repairable. You're going to have to get a whole new engine. So we're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars. So some of these service intervals, man, you cannot skip over them and just like, well, I'll be okay, because you can take care of the little problem before they become a big problem. 
Um, anything else on that, Justin? No, I think that's about got that, Rich. Uh, the one other thing that uh, that I might say on this, and I, I'm kind of surprised we didn't mention it, is your air filter. Maybe uh, taking a look at your air filter, especially if you, especially if you have an older carbureted vehicle, which if that's the case, you're probably an expert. You probably know more about vehicles than either Rich or I do. But um, keeping an eye on that air filter and maybe even replacing that out with a uh, an air filter like a K&N air filter that never goes bad. You never have to replace. You basically just have to clean it on a on a specific schedule. Yeah, I had one of those on a Jeep one time and, and really liked that. Um, but aside from the air filter, I also want to say a little pro tip that I have done for years is when I wash my vehicle, and I wash my vehicle about every week, I'll raise the hood and kind of spray the top of the hood and let the water gently fall down on the engine. Uh, so I'm not taking that high-pressure washer and spraying the engine off. I'm spraying on the inside of the, uh, the of the hood, let it drip down. And then I'll take rags and wipe off all the hoses, gently wiping them off, get the road dirt and stuff like that off so that I can see if there's any fluid leaks before they become a big problem. The other thing that it does is not only makes it easier for me to identify whether a a hose is about to break or I've got a belt that is fraying, it also gives me uh, gives the mechanic an opportunity when he opens that hood, he sees that this is somebody that takes care of his thing. So there's kind of a second order effect there. Yeah, I, yeah, I like that a lot, man. That's that's also really really good advice. Okay, uh, anything else before we go into the book of the week? I think that's about got it, man. I yeah, I can't think of anything else, man. Let's move on. This is kind of a weird book, uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. It's an in- inquiry into um, values and. I don't. This is one of those books that I listen to it on audiobook. I think that's probably the best way to get it. It, uh, it talks about. Uh, I think it's a father and son, and they're riding motorcycles across the, uh, the United States, and they're having these philosophical conversations as they go. And I think the father ends up going. Well, I don't want to go too far into it because I don't want to ruin it for you. Just in case you do happen to read read it, but. It, it's it's one of those books. It came out in the ni- nineteen seventy four, I believe, but it, it juxtaposes one one of the guys is a motorcycle rider and he drives a BMW and he ha- knows nothing about how to maintain his mo- BMW motorcycle. The other guy kind of had a hand in building the motorcycle. He knows how to fix the motorcycle. He and because of that, he's more resilient. Uh, he's more capable, and he's like you know you're relying on these two wheels on the ground to make contact. And you don't even know how to fix it. You don't even know if the guy that worked on it knew how to fix it. And you're relying and trusting in this guy. So it's kind of an interesting uh, book. Have you read this book? I got a confession to make. I have not, man. One of my absolute best friends sent me this book years ago when I was in Afghanistan. He said, man, this is a great book. Check it out. You'll, You'll definitely get something out of it. And I got to admit to you, man, that thing got set aside. I ended up not reading it, not just just not just not making the time, and I lost the copy that he gave me. And I need to go back and read that, man. If nothing else, than to satisfy that little debt. But this this definitely sounds in line with with what we're talking about here. Yeah, and there's there's some stuff in uh, Zen Buddhist philosophy that, uh, as well as I think Plato and some other things. So, uh, along with a, a, a journey on the road, so. It's pretty neat. Uh, kind of ends weird. I'll I'll leave that up to the reader to to see whether you like that or not. But that's all I had on the book of the week, my friend. 
Awesome, man. Well, should we go ahead and close this thing out? Lead us out. All right. First of all, thanks to everybody for listening to AcrossThePeak.com. Please check out AcrossThePeak.com for show notes, for additional content. Rich and I usually put up an extra article every week with whatever we're doing. There's quite a bit of stuff up there now. Every episode has some photos of whatever we're talking about and some, some deeper explanations of what to do. So check that stuff out. Also, don't forget to check out our, specific to this episode, our vehicle maintenance logbooks. Again, we're going to try to make the, a PDF that you can download and print out your own if you don't want to pay for this thing on Amazon. Uh, but we do have a nice bound copy on Amazon.com that you can pick up. That helps Rich and I support the show, helps us keep it going. Uh, the biggest favor you can do for us, though, is to tell someone else about this show and, and recommend it to somebody that you could use this information. Until next week, remember, be safe, and if you can't be safe, be dangerous. You've been listening to the Across the Peak podcast. Be sure to visit acrossthepeak.com for show notes and bonus content. Until then, be safe, and if you can't be safe, be dangerous. Be dangerous.